I think being honest with what you want and how you feel is really important. And then I think also taking responsibility for how you're showing up in your relationship. It's so easy when there's conflict to start to justify not being your best self in the relationship. And then also having that kind of principle of charitable interpretation, like not taking things personally, assuming the best in people, and also holding yourself and them accountable for what's happening in the relationship. This is the Fit Investor Podcast where we talk about how to live a more holistic life of being fit, not only financially, but physically and faithfully. We'll be joined by experts in all these areas to share their experiences and actionable and practical tips so that you can be a fit investor too. So now let's join our hosts, Kale Delaney, Wesley Whitehead, and Brenna Carls. All right. Welcome to another episode of The Fit Investor. I'm your host, Kale Delaney, here with our co-host, Mr. Wesley Whitehead, the bearded man. Morning. And today we have a guest, Sharon Costanzo. And Sharon is a relationship host and coach and host of the Keep Talking Revolution podcast. She founded Respected and Connected, a coaching program and community that helps women improve the communication in their marriage so that they can navigate the most challenging aspects of their relationships with strength and love. She's known for her compassionate and pragmatic approach to the common challenges we all face in our most important relationships. So Sharon, welcome to the Fit Investor Podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And we're excited to hear about your story and talk about the communication and marriage and things of that nature. Super important topic. I know you focus on women in your coaching, but I would imagine the same principles apply to men, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So we look forward. You're going to be counseling Wes and I today, and uh, hopefully our wives will be appreciative. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, we'll just let you get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit of what got you into wanting to have this passion for helping women specifically with, with communication and how that came about in your life? Yeah, for sure. So I always tell people when they ask me like how I became a coach and how I came to focus on what I do, I say it was my life experience. And I think that's true for a lot of us. But I became particularly passionate about talking about communication because my husband and I struggled so much early on in our marriage to communicate. And I think we, like most couples, I think most couples experience this to some extent. We made a lot of assumptions about what our life was going to be like based on how we presented early on in our relationship. And we did have a fairly short courtship before we got married. My parents were living overseas at the time, and my brother was going to be deployed to Afghanistan. And when all of that came out, we were like, oh, we're going to have a family gathering soon. And we know we want to be together. So let's get married when the whole family can be here. So we had a little bit of a quick entry point into our marriage. And there were some. How quick was it, Sharon? (laughs) Okay. So I'll be. So, anyways, we started dating in November. And my husband proposed in April and we got married in June. We had a six week engagement. Okay. (laughs) And everyone just assumed that I was pregnant because of that. And I was not. We had decided to wait until we were married to consummate our marriage, but it was quick. And so from the time of we committed, we're going to get married. My husband brought up finances was one of the big things that that we had to deal with early on in our marriage. He brought up, let's just get some financial stuff out out in the open. And I was like, okay. And he gave me the rundown of his financial situation. And I was in a healthier financial situation than he was when we got married. I had started my career earlier than him. I had bought a home five years before we were married. I got married with this impression of what his financial situation was. And then some of the bank statements and credit card statements started coming in and it wasn't quite what he had had shared with me. (laughs) And it was very upsetting to see that. And Uh, and how how soon after you were married, did you see this information or was it before you got married, you started seeing it? 
It was after we were married. So we got married in June. I think it was like August that the student loan bill came and it was about twice what I thought it was. And the credit card bill I sold, I had a condo when we got married, which I sold because I I moved into the home that he had recently purchased and I saw the credit card bill. It was it was more than I thought it was, the more than he had led me to believe it was. And luckily there was enough money from selling my condo. I I just paid off the credit card bill, but the student loans, just a lot of that stuff. And I mm. think that my husband had really just gotten into a pattern. It was a pattern that that his family had established beforehand of just avoiding those tough topics, avoiding hard conversations, presenting a little bit more of a positive light and not really digging in and addressing those harder things. That was the pattern in his family that was very familiar to him and wasn't really a problem from his perspective. Got it. So once you discovered this, uh, you know, how, what happened? Like, how did you guys, how did you guys take, cause this is right. You said this is within a couple months of you guys getting married, moving in together. So all the dirty laundry is being flushed out now. Yeah. So that was one example of some dirty laundry. Luckily, we were in a position where we both had professional careers. And like I said, I had some proceeds from the sale of a home that I had owned before. I did. I purchased it in 07 when the market was higher and I sold it when it was lower, but I did still have a little bit of a cushion and I was able to take care of that credit card debt right away. And we were in a position where we had money to pay off those student loans really quickly. So the financial aspect of it was taken care of very quickly, but the trust aspect of really, are you a person who I can trust to be honest with me when something comes up that, that you feel uncomfortable sharing with me, you're afraid of how I'm going to respond. That was something that really took years for us to work out. So what, so I understand it, it took years, but are there any specific events or specific things that that you guys did to start rebuilding that that trust not necessarily just about finances in general because i'm sure it spilled over into different areas yeah i think i had to recognize where the fear was coming from because i am a fairly direct for my husband being as they're kind of painting a rosy picture was their family tradition my family is very direct like You do the right thing no matter what. So I had to recognize how our dynamic was bringing out the worst in both of us. How I was maybe being a little bit too harsh and rigid with how I expected things to be and what I expected from him. So to be a little bit more softer and compassionate and understanding rather than this, like I said, I grew up in a much more, much harsher environment. So realizing that I had to have some understanding. One of the huge aha moments for me was just learning this principle of charitable interpretation. And I love that this is a faith-based podcast because we can really talk about that kind of Christ-like lens of understanding that people, even when they do things that are hurtful, they aren't doing it just to be hurtful. There's a lot of kind of pain that we bring with us, pain and fear that we bring with us into our relationships and learning to not take those things personally. My husband wasn't doing, wasn't being dishonest with me to hurt me. It wasn't a personal thing. It was something that he learned along the way. And then also with that kind of charitable lens, seeing that, okay, we've come with all this hurt. And we really do have the power to change. I think a lot of of relationships we approach, we have this kind of lens of people don't really change. This is just the way it is. We can be very harsh and judgmental and very set in our ways of we can't really work together to make this better. So we cope in unhealthy ways with some of these hurtful dynamics in our relationship. Yeah. You know, I mean, real quick, thinking about what you just said in your husband's situation, um, as a man, I, I know that personally, I feel responsible to be the primary provider or at least the one responsible for provision of the family. So I can totally see how when two people come together 
both having careers, uh, if the woman is coming from a stronger position financially, that can be intimidating and, and can lead to either conscious or subconsciously trying to inflate your position so that you don't seem inferior to, but obviously the truth comes out eventually. So you might as well be honest. Yeah. And I definitely think that there was some of that. My husband's older than me, but he took longer to get through school than I did. And, and we both have engineering degrees. We have similar education and all of that, but I can totally relate to that. And that definitely was the position that he came from that view of wanting to be the provider in the family. Yeah. And I want to take it on a, a tangent there maybe, but, and from a societal perspective, maybe this is a bit controversial with everything needing to be politically correct. But again, we're, we come from a faith-based perspective and similar to what Wes just mentioned that we were talking about, the man comes into the relationship and it's expected to be the breadwinner, so to speak, provide for the family. And that goes along with the, the biblical order of the man and the woman in the relationship and some of the roles that that scripture does lay out for us. And you feel free to agree or disagree, but I think in society today, what's happening, what we see more and more is these roles getting reversed and that and ending up causing a lot of conflict in the relationships, whether it's from a financial perspective or just responsibility in general, the man, you hear the, be the head of the household. And a lot of women can take that offensively or the being submissive and take that offensively when it's not meant to be a like dictator and subject type of relationship. The husband is to be the head of the household, but also love his wife. Like. Christ loves the church. And you know, so there, there's these roles that were set out for us in scripture from God, and they get either kind of perverted or twisted in society or reversed. And when those things happen, I think that's what spurs a lot of these conflicts in marriage, especially when nowadays we have a lot more women who do have careers, who have very successful careers. And so I just want to get your thoughts on that. Do you see that? in some of the coaching and everything that you do? Yeah, I definitely see that society has changed a lot in the last 50 years. And I think what women are expecting from their marriage has changed a lot. Men, men too. Women's roles and women's lives have changed a lot more in the 50, last 50 years than I think men's have, just because more of us have careers. Our expectations have changed a lot. And I do see more of a push. It's tough because when we talk about the leadership and submissive and all of that thing, it really can be hard to grapple with that. And I really love a more approach that's more egalitarian is a great word, where we can, as a couple, look at what roles really fit for our family as a couple rather than this prescribed role that comes from some traditional views that, that some of that is our Christian values and some of that is just our society value. And I think really shedding some of that and taking away some of the expectations of that and talking about what's going to work for us as a couple and let's really spell out what we need and what we expect. Like I said before, I have a master's degree in mechanical engineering. So I grew up in this very male-dominated sphere and, and being able to fill that role in my profession and then also be the wife and the mom that I want to be. There were times that it really was a lot of conflict in my marriage, negotiating with my husband. What, does it, what do our traditional values or what do our expectations of marriage look like? And what there was one example, just to give an example, I quit my job. When my second child was born, my kids are 18 months apart and I was had very ambivalent about having a career and being a mom and balancing all of those duties. But when I quit my job to be a stay-at-home mom, my husband just without us even agreeing or discussing, he just decided, okay, my full-time job is my job and your job is everything else. 
And there was one morning I was nursing the baby and my 18-month-old was sitting in the high chair, like dumping oatmeal on the floor. And my husband was in bed and he comes upstairs and I was angry and frustrated by the lack of communication that we had about what our roles really were. And I said to him, like, I don't think it should be my job to do all of this while you just sleep whenever you want and go to work. And he said, this is what you agreed to when you decided to be a stay-at-home mom. And I was like, I don't think we ever really spelled that out. So I do think there is a place for us talking about what our roles are within our family. But I think we need to talk about it more and not assume. Right. So you know, much. and a quick comment on that. It's very interesting listening to you speak. My wife has very similar views to you. And the funny thing is that when you think about, okay, society, right? For society to function, you need strong families. Okay. That's just a fact. When families are weak, society breaks down. I think we're witnessing that today. The society is collapsing around us, morality is out the window. You have feral youth running the streets, destroying things, no respect for authority, conflicts with police. It's just, it's a disaster. And you can actually trace it back, not exclusively, but you can trace it back to basically the collapse of the family unit. And what happened in the past 50 years is you have both husband and wife leaving the household to both be breadwinners, to provide a higher standard of living, right? Because in their perspective, for the Western capitalist, and I'm a capitalist, okay, I own a business, but in the Western capitalist perspective, quality of life is determined by how many zeros are in your account, right? So you all only provide the best for your family. And so you both go to work all day and you outsource raising your children to the state, whether it be a daycare center or a public school, public university, or what have you, or an iPad, just here, just take care of yourself. And then after the family is financially secure, the kids are a mess. And everyone's dysfunctional. And I think it goes back to, for one, like the communication where nothing says that a woman can't work inside the home, but, and for a biblical perspective, biblically, the one responsible for providing the resources for the family is the husband. The one responsible for managing those resources and running a household is the wife. It does not mean they can't cross each other. It just means who's responsible. It's like my kids. I give my kids an assignment. Hey, you two. You guys need to unload the dishwasher. But Larissa, my oldest, you're responsible for it. She can delegate those tasks to her younger siblings. But at the end of the day, I'm going to hold her accountable for what happened. So I feel like biblically, God says, you're responsible for this individually, but you share the load. And like you gave the example with your husband and my wife, my wife and I had the same situation too. And she makes a good point. She's you work all day, but then you get to clock out and you're done. Whereas I work from sun up to sundown. So that's not a fair, that's not a fair situation. She's so I'll run the household. She says, fine, but you have to help me even if you're, when you're done with work, like we'll share the load. And so I go to her and I'm like, okay, since you're running the household and she's sitting right over there. So I can just, I can say this, <laughs> since you're running the household, I need you to delegate to me what you need. Tell me what you need me to do. And then she, her response is, I shouldn't have to tell you. And I'm like, but <laughs> if you don't tell me, I won't know. So say, you know what, can you go clean that bathroom? Can you go mop that floor? Can you go put those kids to bed? Or can you bathe Raphael? Maybe as me as a man, I don't know this, I'm not a woman, but like for me, I like to delegate and be delegated too. I like to know what's expected of me. So whenever we have that communication where she tells me, I need you to do this. For me, it goes much smoother. Cool. We have company coming over. I got to clean the guest bath. I got it. I'll do it. But if she's not communicating with me because she's thinking you should just know when you live here, you should just know. I can't function like that. So I'm going back to just, I feel like the roles I think are important, but it does not mean to your point, Sharon, it does not mean that you can't help each other out with it. So if the woman wants to help contribute income to the family, great. If the man helps clean the house and take care of the kids, great. But I still feel like the roles are assigned biblically as far as who's responsible, but it's a team effort. Yeah, I definitely agree with the team effort. And I also think like when you talk about about chores specifically, like that's a big point of contention for a lot of couples. And just like you said, like expecting you to read your wife, your wife expecting you to read her mind and know what needs to be done. That's caused so many problems in so many marriages. And there's a lot of ways you can do it. You can delegate, like you said, or you can say, hey, can you take ownership of this task? Or can you just assume that 
every night. Dishes are your responsibility. There's lots of ways that we can do it that's much more effective than just expecting to read each other's minds and know what needs to be done and step in and do it. But we've seen also in the past several years, as men become more engaged and involved, fathers, it's better. It's better for everyone. For them not to just assume, to really divide that role of, okay, the wife is responsible for nurturing the kids, but having that engagement in the home of the dads really being actively involved with their children's well-being has been a really positive shift, I think, as we've had to grapple with what does it mean to have a true partnership where the roles aren't so divided that we don't cross and help each other out. Yeah, no, I love that conversation there. I wanted to jump back on something you had brought up earlier. You call it the charitable interpretation. It pretty much, it, it's it sounds like lending grace, right? Or yeah. not assuming the, you know, that when somebody does something, whether it's good or bad, that it's done with ill intent, right? <laughs> and I think, you know, when you're in a bad spot in a marriage, and, you know, you can end up treating each other like you're the enemies, right? And you're fighting against each other instead of with each other. Right. And so whenever anything is done, any slight offense or anything like that, you have this automatic negative lens that you look at it from, right? Oh, they did that just to do it just because, right? And I, that happens on both ends, right? When you get into that rut, more or less in, in the marriage. What are some ways to get out of that? And I know I'm confident this all comes back to communication. That's really the root of everything. Yeah. For a couple who's in that situation, what are some actual practical things that you can do to try to get out of that treating each other like enemies and lending that grace to yeah. each other? I think one of the things that's been the most helpful for me and for my clients is to recognize what is my part? How have I contributed to the situation that I'm in? And that takes a lot of self-awareness, which is really uncomfortable <laughs> to confront yourself. And the term self-confrontation is really helpful. Confront yourself and say, oh, I can see how I've been part of this situation. And for me, I, it was very easy for me to look at the things that my husband had done and they were obviously wrong obviously inappropriate. Being dishonest is never justified, but understanding that and then seeing my part. So one of the things that kind of happened in our relationship for quite a while is I was resentfully accommodating my husband and some of the things that he wanted. And so just owning to that and being like, this is a really great tool for anyone, but especially for women who have been in that position of resentful accommodation is to just say, hey, I know I've given you the impression in the past that I was okay with how things were going because I wasn't saying anything. So you're owning that. You're taking responsibility for your part in it. But I want things to be different for us in the future, and I want something to work for both of us. So really recognizing your responsibility in things and owning up to it, that just relieves or evaporates defensiveness so quickly when you can take responsibility. But it is very hard to do because it's you've been watching the relationship and you it's so easy to see how your partner's contributing to the problems that you have. But really taking that responsibility makes a huge difference. Yeah. And I was listening to one of your one of your episodes on your podcast recently and another thing you had were talking about was the community. And, and uh -huh. so I think that's another thing that I know, frankly, we, you know, my wife and I experienced that, but I think a lot of people, especially since COVID and that whole isolationary period, a lot of relationships and just social connections were cut or, or lost during that period. And probably many haven't been regained even at this point. And once you get married and you have kids and you have jobs and all this stuff, it becomes very difficult to go to events socially, right? Or connect with people or just get out of the house, frankly. And yeah. that 
But you, you end up, especially if you're in a negative situation or period in that relationship, you just, you condense it, right? Because you just never get away. There's nobody to communicate with, to vent things to, or that type of thing. So I just wanted to see if you could touch on that and talk about the importance of having community or support both on the husband's and on the wife's side. Oh yeah, for sure. I, that's one thing that I always talk with my clients about because we really have put a lot of pressure on the nuclear family and our spouse to fulfill all of our needs. I feel like that's one kind of negative trend that's happened in the last several years. And it can be really difficult when we're asking our, as a woman, if I'm asking my husband to be my best friend and my romantic partner and my partner in the house and managing the household. And I want him to not just be like my friend as a husband, but I want him to fulfill the role as a, of a girlfriend as well and be somebody that I vent my emotions to. That's a lot of pressure on the marriage. Like, do you have a few girlfriends that you can talk to? Not just to vent to, because I think also with the with all of our communities going online, some of those communities can become very toxic and it just becomes this vent session of you get online and you complain about your spouse and they say, oh, he's probably a narcissist. You probably should leave your marriage. <laughs> but what is a positive community? I think that a religious community is a great place for that. That's one of the things I love the most about going to church is feeling part of the community that I have at church. But can you find groups of, if you're a woman, can you find groups of women where the focus really is more on growth and development? And not this downward toxic spiral where the most negative voice gets all of the attention. So there's that. And for men, I think I really do think it is harder for men to find those good communities of men. My husband is a, he does a great job better than most. He plays racquetball once a week with some buddies. He likes to fish or golf, but can you find a few activities that you enjoy? with other people so that you're not putting that pressure on your marriage to fulfill mm. all of your needs. Right. Yeah. And I think coming from personal experience here too, you know, I don't know what you said. I think it is just in general, it's more difficult for men to be open about emotion or, or that type of thing. Uh, I think a lot of it's the way that some of us were brought up or societal pressures and things of that nature as well. I'll say for me personally, like I'm a very stiff upper lip kind of person. You said, you mentioned you're a very rigid type of person. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So I don't do well with emotions. And going along the lines of what we were talking about before as well, in terms of where the wife can sometimes expect or want the husband to fulfill that need of being the girlfriend and talk about things emotionally. I'll be honest, like for me, when emotions become involved, it's extremely uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. And it almost shuts me down in a sense, uh -huh. because yeah. I just want to get out of that situation as fast as possible. And so that that's an area of conflict that we have in our marriage, just being open. And I find it very difficult to break my habits and be okay with emotions, frankly. I, for me personally, like I looked at them in me as a negative thing. And so I try to suppress them, right? Versus mm -hmm. my wife, or I think women in general, think more emotionally and they have a more, have a positive connotation, but they're a bit more volatile, right? So when you have that dynamic of someone that can think more volatile and someone that thinks very logically or black and white, it, it becomes very difficult to understand each other. So again, just get your input on that. Do you see that commonly? And so do you have any tips or suggestions on how to break down some of those barriers? Yeah, I just had a podcast interview with a, with another coach and she works with men. So that was really interesting because she has that perspective of the struggles that men have to be more aware and comfortable with their emotions. And the term that she used is self-intimacy. So just really knowing yourself, it's like self-awareness, but it's that who am I when all of this whole facade is broken down? I do think that women in general, we say we're more comfortable with emotions, but we have very specific expectations. Like you said, we, we can be just this 
like unbridled self-expression is a term that Terry Real uses. And I think it's important to, to see the value in both positions. We're trying to reconcile a paradox, this unbridled self-expression where I can just express any emotion at any time. That has a downside too. Just like your stiff upper lip, there, there is a time when that is, is appropriate and very needed and it has a downside. And the more uh, typical female approach of just being completely comfortable with emotion, that has a downside as well. So if we can see the value in each other's position and appreciate it and understand where it comes from and maybe find more middle ground rather than say which way is right or wrong, I think that can be really helpful. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think, I think that's where we get stuck a lot is in the right versus wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of, like you said, finding that middle ground, especially when you've been ingrained in a certain way for so long to compromise or let down some of that, maybe some of that authority or whatever it may be to say, okay, even if I don't like that manner of things, maybe it's a necessity to do things. Hey guys, it's Brenna Carl, CEO and co-founder of The Mortgage Shop. When I'm not spending my time searching for the best pizza in town, working out because of pizza, or fighting sharks as Kale likes to say, I spend my time educating clients on the best investment products that will help them build generational wealth and making sure their loan process is as smooth as warm butter on a piece of toast. Call us today to get started with your investment journey at 800-816-7982 or talk more about pizza. Talk to you soon. I still, I struggle with that a lot. So I like hearing the tips and suggestions on this. So I want to get into, we touched on it a little bit throughout here, but I want to get into it a little bit more in terms of your, your faith background and what your journey was like and becoming a Christian and how that, yeah. how that influences just what, how you live your life today. And I'm sure influences in some manners with your, with your coaching and your business and just hear your stories on that. Yeah, so I I was raised in a very religious Christian home and I was always a very spiritual child like the religion and just knowing God and knowing the Christian what's a good just the Christian story is so beautiful to me. And I think that I really relied on my faith a lot to help me. I, I grew up with a lot of anxiety and this overachiever, this want to get everything right and always feeling like I was never quite measuring up. And I will say as a teen struggling with depression and anxiety, just knowing the Christian story and believing in the power of the atonement, I still to this day will say it saved my life. Just having that faith, that Christian faith. And my my journey, but I really love the Christian story and Jesus Christ being at the center of my faith is very important to me. And so you grew up, you say your family, is your husband a man of faith or? My what's... husband is not a man of faith. No. Okay. So how do you, how, that's a good topic right there. How do you deal yeah. with that? Sorry, say that one more time. How do you deal with that dynamic? Because I know that's another obviously big source. of. Oh, for sure. There is a lot of emphasis on marrying someone within your faith. And I think that the thing that was hard for me is there's also this very traditional view of that the woman is home with the kids. And so I had this kind of this kind of paradox to deal with, because like I said before, I have a master's degree in mechanical engineering. I had a career before I got married. So trying to reconcile that, it seemed like within my religious community, the men who I was interested in dating were not interested in dating me because they saw me as someone who was not going to be like the ideal wife and mother because I had a career. And I also felt a lot often like they were threatened by my professional accomplishments. And when I met my husband, I was very hesitant to start a relationship with him because there was that discrepancy. But I remember the first time we went out and we got together, I came home and I told my mom, I said, he sees me as a person. And I hadn't experienced that with a lot of the men that I was dating within my church. 
I felt like they were looking at the checklist of, is this wife, does she fulfill the, will she fulfill the duties of what I expect from a wife and mother? So I saw that my husband saw me as a person. And when I took that to God and asked, is this a relationship that I should pursue? I felt very strongly that my husband would be someone who I could have a good, happy life with. And what I say now, looking back on that experience, is my marriage has refined me. The challenges in my marriage have refined me in ways that I never could have expected. And it's the difficulty. It's being able to reconcile some of these trickier things of being a person of faith and pursuing my faith and taking my kids to church with me but also being respectful of my husband and the fact that he has different views than I do. The one thing that has really made that part of our marriage work is that we deeply respect each other's position. And that is a hard thing. And I know that a lot of people, as people are navigating their faith journeys, if you start out on the same page and one person changes their view, that is a really big conflict to mm -hmm. navigate in a marriage. Oh my gosh, I thought we started in the same place and not in the same place anymore. How can we make this work? But for my husband and I, we started in different places in our faith and we've navigated other really difficult challenges, but that really has been the, the, the principle that has helped us reconcile that is we have a lot of respect for each other. And my husband, he never gives me a hard time about taking the kids to church. There's no, he doesn't have any antagonism towards the church or anything like that. And I also don't have any judgment or antagonism towards his decision to not attend with us. And now you said you've been married 11 years now. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm just curious, obviously, we talked about some of the struggles earlier on and everything. When did you guys have a breakthrough, more or less, where you would say that you started, maybe, I don't know if it's the right terminology, but you started having a healthy marriage? Yeah, I think there were two, two turning points. One was when our kids were little and I did say to him, because there was a lot of conflict, like I mentioned that story with the babies, there was a lot of conflict about what our roles and responsibilities were at home. And there was a point when I said to him, if you're going to be hostile to me every time I ask for some help, then I can't continue this marriage. And so that was like me planting my flag and saying, this is the kind of marriage that I want. And that was maybe a turning point. And then really when we got to the point where I felt like we had a more healthy marriage was when I decided, when I learned that principle of charitable interpretation, and I decided to start giving him the benefit of the doubt and approaching these hard conversations rather than I'm right and you need to get in line and instead seeing what can we do to make this marriage work better for both of us. And was your, like when you had these kind of epiphanies, did your uh -huh. husband similar epiphanies at those time or was it more or less you saying, okay, I'm going to start doing this or that or the other thing. And then later on your husband came along or yeah, I, I would say it, it's more of that, him coming along, him kind of seeing the change in me and that kind of changing the energy in our relationship. And I think there have been times when I think he, he tends to be a little bit more resistant, a little bit more. And then I think there's this kind of, oh, this person is has changed. And if I want this relationship to work, and I, I do believe my husband's committed to our marriage, like I'm committed to this marriage. And if I want this marriage to work, then I'm going to have to step up and take a little bit more responsibility too. Yeah. And I bring that up just because I was uh, just heard a interview on the radio recently with, I'm sure you're familiar with him, Dr. Gary Chapman, Bible mm -hmm. languages, all that stuff. Uh, but he was, I know that's one of the thing, obviously that he promotes and preaches a lot as well is taking action. And then, you know, the other person eventually coming along because oftentimes you don't, you're not in sync 
in that situation where you're both okay we're ready we're both ready to we're both ready to do something to change things it's usually one person or the other but that's a difficult thing right because you know you're not going to see results right away and you can get discouraged real easy for sure so what would you have to say for somebody maybe who's going through that or wants to do that how do you avoid or persevere through that discouragement period maybe that when the other partner doesn't take on immediately. Yeah, I think it it is. It's messy. And I think that's the part that I wasn't really prepared for is you need to understand that if you're the one who is pushing for the change, you've been thinking about this. It's been going through your head for a long time. When you bring it up to your spouse, that might be like brand new information to them. You know, you probably have a year or two head start on what you've been thinking about what you want. Like we don't we don't come to these things quickly usually. It's usually something that's been building in us for a while. So understanding that it's messy and I teach this framework for hard conversations because a lot of times we we come to a hard conversation and we think okay, if I bring this up in just the right way, then they're going to get it. And obviously, I'm being very rational and reasonable. So what I'm asking for is is totally acceptable. And it's just going to change immediately or change easily. But we're bringing up something unfamiliar. We're asking somebody to change in a big way. And it's going to be messy. And the thing that has been really helpful for me is to just be prepared to follow up and clarify and adjust your expectations. And one of the things that happens to me often is I've asked for something, we start implementing it and it's, oh, this isn't quite working out the way that I expected and being prepared to make adjustments as you go and treating it more as an experiment or an ongoing effort than just this instant change. It's really helpful to think of just like, how do kids develop? They start as infants, they don't move at all, and then they start to roll over, and then they start to crawl, and then they start to walk. And that is really what happens in our marriage as well. We think in our head, okay, we're going to have this conversation and we're going to resolve this issue, but it really is a developmental process. Mm. Just having that, I guess, ultimately having patience. (laughs) Yeah, lots of patience, but also persistence. That the follow-up, I think that was another big thing. And that's a really big aha with a lot of my clients is being prepared to check back in. Can we check in maybe once a week? And how are things going? What's one thing we can work on this week? Not (laughs) here's my laundry list of everything I want to change. But if I was going to make you feel more loved and appreciated just this week, what's one thing I could do? And taking it, it small. That's another. I had a client with two little kids in a situation I was in five years ago. And she's like, ah, there's so many things. And I was like, take a minute and just think, okay, if there was one thing I wanted to address, one small thing, what would it be? And if I were to focus on that for a period of time, I'd make a lot more progress than expecting everything, everything to be better within the next six months or whatever. Yeah, that, that's a good point. The old the saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? But yeah, I think that's, that is a huge hurdle, right? Because yeah, when you have, like you said, that whole laundry list, yeah, you want to clean it all up, right? You want it all to be taken care of. And so it, when you focus on that, ultimately nothing really gets accomplished. No. Like you said, if you can take it one step at a time and have that longer term outlook, which again, is a struggle, I think, in today's society is we're very short attention span and very instant gratification culture at this point. So to take things slowly and incrementally can be very difficult, but I think you're right. That's a necessity. I want to talk about a little bit too, because I think it ties in into these things because we're talking about conflicts and resolution and communication and all that stuff. A lot of that all these things can result in a lot of stress. And one thing that I'm a huge proponent of is how having an outlet for that stress and through physical activity and how important that is. 
And so I just want to touch on that and see in your life, what is your thought on that in terms of physical activity, exercise, and the importance that that can play in maybe being an outlet for that stress and just obviously in, in overall well-being for your life, oh, uh, how important sure. exercise is. Yeah, it really is very important. And it's something that I get reminded of every time I get lax on my fitness routine. But just like that physical movement, and I think like big physical movement or intense physical movement really is a way for us to release some of that trapped emotion in our body. Excuse me. I love going to high fitness. I don't know if you guys have that in your area. And you guys are men, so we never see men in that class. But <laughs> think of like Zumba or some sort of dance aerobics. I love that. And I know that I'm not doing a good job like processing and working through emotions when I start to get tearful in the middle of, a, of an intense workout. But really that physical movement and those being in touch with your body is another great way to release emotions. And I think women can especially do a, a better job with that. We don't have to talk through everything. Some of it we can move through by moving our bodies. Yeah, I like that. So what uh, you mentioned this high fitness. Yeah. Being in Utah as well, I imagine lots of outdoor act. Are you an outdoorsy type? Right. Like I'm not super outdoorsy. We do. We have a beautiful yard and I love to, we spend this summer every night as we wind down for the evening, go out and sit on the deck and let the kids play on the swing set, be outside and be together as a family. I, I should be more of a hiker and, and <laughs> biker, but we just, <laughs> we've gotten so busy and haven't prioritized that. But yeah, spending time outside with your family, I think that is just the best. It's a, it's a great way to, to be connected and just be together. And so I'm just curious, like the high fitness you mentioned, it's like a Zumba inspired dance class. Is yeah. that, is uh -huh. So is that your primary, the primary thing that you, or your go-to when it comes to your fitness routine? Or? Yeah. High fitness. I do. I do lift weights a couple of times a week as well. And doing Pilates or yoga also. Okay. So I think, yeah, cardio, weights, and flexibility, I think are the three kind of to round out your fitness. I think that's what you need. Yeah. Excellent. And is that just curious again, is that something that you encourage in your coaching as well? Yeah, I think it it is something that I encourage. And I think if we're going to deal with the really difficult issues in our relationships, we do need to raise our, I have a mentor who calls it raising your emotional baseline, but you do need to have some basic self-care in place with fitness and eating well and drinking water and resting, getting good sleep, because we want to be at our best when we're dealing with the hardest parts of our relationships. Yeah. No, I, yeah, hundred percent. Especially again, when we're talking about families and kids are involved and that type of thing and going back what we've been talking about earlier, when all that burden of just the everyday activities in life and the stress. And again, when you have young kids, especially, and maybe you're not sleeping well, and there's this or that or the other thing that of course can just compound any of the other issues that are going on in the relationship and just get things spiraling out of, out of control. Again, just having those outlets, whether it's the community support, like we talked about earlier, or the physical outlets, or ideally both, to be able to diffuse some of that stress and just built up stuff that gets compounded there daily on a daily basis when you have all this other stuff going on. Yeah, that because that's tough. That's just the reality of life. Like we have three kids and our youngest is, he's going to be what, four in a few months, but uh, he does not sleep well. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah, I don't sleep well either just in nature. And so it's, uh, unfortunately it's a nightly thing. Uh, he gets up multiple times through the night and one of us has to go take care of him. And so that, that puts a lot of fatigue or really just in physical fatigue and mental fatigue 
uh, that of course can get carried over into for the rest of the day and the rest of everything mm -hmm. else. For me, I take the physical fitness thing very importantly in my life. So I still make that a huge effort to make sure I'm consistent with that. Even if I am physically tired, because one thing that I find is that even if I'm physically tired or mentally tired, once you force yourself to get started and you get going, that quickly dissipates, right? Oh, and for sure. you can get past that pretty, pretty easily and then set yourself up for a better day by, by getting that physical activity in the morning. So that's one thing that I always promote too, is you sometimes you just got to do the hard things. I like doing the exercise in the mornings now. So you force yourself to get up, force yourself to go there. Eventually you're going to wake up, right? <laughs> and do your activity. Yeah. Once you do it, you're going to be glad you did it. So you're just going to get over that hurdle of getting started and pushing through maybe that fatigue that's coming from these other areas and just do it. Yeah, for sure. Now, excellent. Sharon, <laughs> I really thank you for your time here. Lots of valuable insights that I think our audience can take a lot away from. And so just to wrap things up, we'd like to just ask our guests for actionable and practical tips. So what would three actionable or practical tips based on what we've talked about be that you could leave our audience with? Yeah, I think being honest with what you want and how you feel is really important. And then I think also, like we talked about taking responsibility for how you're showing up in your relationship. It's so easy when there's conflict to start to justify not being your best self in the relationship. And then also having that kind of principle of charitable interpretation, like not taking things personally, uh, assuming the best in people. And I guess I'm doing for it, but also holding yourself and them accountable for what's happening in the relationship. There you go. Love it. Wonderful. Where can our audience find you or follow you or if they're interested in your coaching services, what are the best ways to get in touch? Yeah. So everywhere online, I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Keep Talking Revolution is my handle in both of those places. And that is my podcast as well. And that is also my website, keeptalkingrevolution.com. So I was one of the lucky people who got to be the same everywhere. So reach right. out to me on Instagram if you have any questions. That's a great place where I'm actively posting and sharing and and listen to my podcast if that's something you're interested in as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the insights. Thank you for the free counseling session for us. Yeah, how much, how much do we owe you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you my bill. <laughs> this one will be free. We'll charge <laughs> next time. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And join us next week for another episode. Take thank care. You.